Welcome to the Weimar podcast of Government Policy, Real Estate, and You. I'm Liz Reckia, Government Affairs Director at Weimar. Interest rates. I was watching CNBC the other day, reading business and industry blogs and newspaper articles, and was quite fatigued by the recurrent theme of interest rate hikes by the Fed or not, and the effect on real estate. Mostly, the media enforces the idea that interest rates for home loans is the reason home sales are not as voluminous as the prognosticators had hoped. I'm sure 4.5% interest rates leave some borrowers out of the market that would have qualified at 2.5%, but my perspective is tarnished by my own life experiences and observations, and I tend to discount these experts. First of all, going back to the Civil War, the average interest rate in America has been about 5%. That means if your client has an interest rate less than 5%, they have a better rate than their great, 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 great grandparents. Ponder that and ask yourself if it's possible other factors may weigh in on a buyer's inability to purchase, like low inventory or credit worthiness. For me, I was a young home buyer when interest rates for people with good credit were 18 to 23 percent plus four to six points. So my first reaction when someone tells me the 4.5 percent interest rate is the issue is to tell them to put a two in front of that 4.5 percent and then we'll talk. The message here is to help your clients keep things in perspective. Interest rates are just part of the issue, and more importantly, there are many more factors that control and weigh heavily on their loan product choices and costs. Clients need to attend to the items they control, like outstanding debts, late bill pay, total debt load, and income. Help your clients get perspective, control their actions, and plan their future. Web Accessibility The World Wide Web Consortium, known as W3C, created and is hosting ongoing development of WAI, the Web Accessibility Initiative. Why do you care? Because of ADA and your website or app. If you attended our fair housing event with Fenimore Craig attorneys Alexis Glasscock and Bruna Padrini, you will remember our two was dedicated to ADA and we touched on the issue of website compliance with ADA. The point made was, yes, websites need to comply with ADA. There are no clear rules. Even the Department of Justice website does not comply since some standards cannot be implemented due to technology lags, and ADA lawsuits are increasing. If you were unable to attend the event, you can access the video in three separate one-hour segments. Part 1 is Fair Housing, Part 2 is ADA, and Part 3 is Disparate Impact. Go to www.wemargad.org, click on Videos to access these and other videos of GAD events. Here's your first quarter 2019 update on this issue. Lawsuits are indeed increasing, and there is still no guidance or standards from DOJ, and in fact, last fall, they rescinded some of their previous guidance. The Department of Justice sent a letter regarding this issue to Congress in September 2018. The tone of the letter seems to be that DOJ does not want to issue specific rules because they wish private business to use the tool that works best for them to comply with ADA. In other words, private business has flexibility. Here's an excerpt from that letter that sums up DOJ's viewpoint. Quote, 
Absent the adoption of specific technical requirements for websites through rulemaking, public accommodations have flexibility in how to comply with the ADA's general requirements of non-discrimination and effective communication. Accordingly, non-compliance with a voluntary technical standard for website accessibility does not necessarily indicate non-compliance with ADA." Unquote. That's fine, and business in general may even applaud the acknowledgement that there may be more than one way to meet ADA requirements, all of which are equally effective. But the courts seem to be on a different track. The lawsuits center around WCAG 2.0 and 2.1 levels of website and app accessibility. The World Wide Web Consortium, W3C, first released their version of web content accessibility guidelines in 1999. It was and continues to be an international collaboration devoted to removing barriers to the internet for persons with disability. That was WCAG 1.0. Fast forward to 2008 and the new guidelines of WCAG 2.0 with 61 criteria for web accessibility. With 2.0 came government rules for compliance. In June 2018, WCAG 2.1 was released, adding another 17 points to the criteria. These new criteria added items to include people with low vision, cognitive disabilities, learning disabilities, and added mobile technologies. W3C is working on the 3.0 version now and plans intermediary updates between now and the release of 3.0, mostly focusing on mobile apps. You can access links to W3C standards and their quick reference updated January 2019 at www.wemargad.org. Click on GAD Podcasts and look for this podcast or the blog post. The Department of Justice's withdrawal of their 2017 Advanced Notice of Rulemaking and their September 2018 letter essentially passed the task of website and app accessibility rulemaking back to Congress. And that is what has prompted the lawsuits. In January 2019, the Ninth Circuit held that Title III applies to websites and mobile applications in Robles v. Domino's Pizza. That decision reverses the district court's dismissal of that class action lawsuit that stated Domino's Pizza violated ADA and California's Unruh Civil Rights Act. Mr. Robles is a blind man who attempted to order pizza from the Domino's Pizza website, but his screen reader software was unable to read the website. One of the issues I have with this case is the assumption by the court that all screen reading software behaves the same. By my count, there are currently 36 screen reading software products on the market today. My question, and one I hope DOJ will address is, Does compliance with ADA mean a website must be readable by every screen reading platform on the market today, in the past, and in the future? This seems to me to be a rather large barrier to business, both in terms of the physical and the expense. The ADA has a provision for reasonable cost of accommodation, and in some cases, the burden and cost of retrofitting a physical location to meet ADA falls to the person occupying and using the facility. I would think that same premise comes into play here. It is impractical to assume that every website and app 
will be readable by every screen reading software product past, present, and into the future. The court failed to even consider this question. The Ninth Circuit rejected the premise that providing a telephone hotline is a sufficient alternative method for a company to comply with ADA for customers with low vision or who are blind. The other question before the court related to due process. Domino's Pizza contended that holding them liable violates their due process rights because there are no clear standards for compliance. The issue specifically revolved around the plaintiff asserting Domino's Pizza website and app did not comply with WCAG 2.0. The district court recognized WCAG 2.0 as a private standard, not regulation and not law. Because of this, if DOJ uses WCAG 2.0 as a standard, they have not provided fair notice, and so Domino's Pizza was not held liable. The Ninth Circuit reversed this view and held that Domino's Pizza has had fair notice since 1996. The phrases revisited were the requirements of ADA for auxiliary aids and services and full and equal enjoyment. In fact, the court held that ADA's flexibility is desired and specificity is unnecessary. The court concentrated its decision around Domino's physical sites, their website, and app. This is a continuation of court holdings at the district and circuit level for several years now. The court maintained the ADA applies to the services of a public accommodation, not in a public accommodation. In the end, the court did not rule on whether website inaccessibility also means physical location site inaccessibility. What is clear is that if the business has a physical address, its website and mobile apps are subject to the same ADA accessibility standards. The court basically ruled businesses can be sued under ADA on accessibility claims regarding their website and mobile apps. The court failed to rule on whether Domino's website and mobile app complied with ADA, and they failed to give guidance. Instead, the court remanded the case back to the district court with instructions, quote, to decide in the first instance whether Domino's website and app provide the blind with effective communication and full and equal enjoyment of its products and services as the ADA mandates, unquote. The upshot of this is to work closely with your attorney, insurance agent, and IT provider on implementing WCAG 2.0 and 2.1 levels into your website and your mobile app. And be prepared. This type of ADA lawsuit is being used by unscrupulous attorneys in the same way ADA accessibility was used in past years at physical locations. In some cases, the plaintiff isn't handicapped at all. In fact, the plaintiff is a self-described tester. They target small businesses and settle the lawsuit, forcing the small business to incur costs of settlement because the cost of defense is much too high. You can read this case and follow links to the resources mentioned today at www.wemargad.org. You will find a blog post on the Robus v. Domino's Pizza, as well as show notes in the podcast description on both www.wemargad.org and C-Suite Radio. Links are in the blog post and the show notes. I'm Liz Reckia. Thanks for joining me today for this quick update. Remember, our next Government Affairs Advisory Council meeting is April 23rd, 10 a.m. to 1 p.m. at Weimar. This event has been approved by Arizona Department of Real Estate for three CE in legal issues. 
please register at www.wemargad.org so we have food and seats for all. Wemargad, advocating for private property rights, the right to private contract, and your business. This podcast is part of the C-Suite Radio Network, turning the volume up on business. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.